You're listening to Spice Radio 1200 AM, and we are speaking to Charlie Smith, the editor of Vancouver. Charlie, how are you this morning? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks, Karen. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, Charlie. Thanks for asking. Now, of course, there's so many stories this week, but this one's been really big because we've been getting so much reaction on it. Premier David Eby, his budget is finally out. What do you think of it overall, and what does this government seem to be prioritizing here? Well, I I think the you no, know, there's been some uh, people upset about the 4.2 billion dollar deficit just after we ran through 5.7 billion dollar uh, surplus, but it's that's still as a percentage of gross to domestic product is not that huge. I think the highlights are, you know, there's 6.4 billion in new funding for healthcare and training, which is uh, serious money. I was quite intrigued by the idea of giving people incentives to um, uh, create secondary suites and looking, they, they, they basically said they're going to look at making secondary suites legal across Canada. Um, not everyone wants to live in a basement suite, but it will provide uh, more housing and, and uh, the document's suggest $91 million over three years to provide financing incentives. Um, and uh, the opposition leader, Kevin Falcon, was critical of this and raising concerns, oh, are we just going to make homeowners more wealthy? But I think we really do have a serious housing shortage in British Columbia, and, and this measure uh, doesn't strike me as, as being unreasonable at all. The other one that was quite fascinating and and politically is to make contraception free the first time in Canada. And that, I think, um, is, is really intended in addition to, you know, you could say, well, if you stop unwanted pregnancies, you're going to actually save uh, a lot of money down the road in some cases, um, but at the same time, and this is 119 million over three years, uh, which is a smidgen of budget. But I do think politically it's going to help the NDP, particularly with young women, and they really do need to get the young women and young people voting for them in large numbers because traditionally the older people tend to vote uh, liberal. Um, and so what the NDP needs is a big turnout of young people, and this is the type of thing that might encourage people to get out and vote. Um, so I, I think it's, uh, you know, is this an election budget is, is a question on my mind. I know David Eby, they, they have fixed election date legislation, but John Horgan had did an end run around that when he called the election in October 2020 in the Lieutenant Governor allowed him to do that. So there is a prerogative of the Premier and a precedent to not follow the fixed election date um, legislation. I guess one of the problems that David Eby is facing is he's still not well enough known, and they're, they're trying their hardest with all these advertisements and, and boosting his personality and his name recognition but on balance, that's why I'm not sure they will go for an election based on this budget, even though, uh, and also they might like inflation to come down a little bit. 
But on the whole, I think, um, you know, there's a lot of money for health care. There's a lot of talk about addressing the addiction crisis. Uh, We'll see what it actually looks like when it's rolled out. And, And then with the free contraception and some housing initiatives, I wouldn't give them a bad mark. No, it's not a bad mark at all, Charlie. But I will say the one area that I thought was interesting that we didn't hear too much about, and many teachers have been critical of it, specifically the BCTF, is they were hoping, you know, that the government would do something to address the teacher shortage. So that's an area where I was a little bit surprised that, huh, why didn't they address that issue? Because that's been something that, not because of COVID-19, I mean, the teacher shortage has been an issue for quite some time. Yeah, and the, the issue there, some of those issues are addressed in collective bargaining. And then others are actually through the post-secondary education system and teacher training and things like that. So the government can can do certain things, but at the same time, uh, a lot of that is, uh, you know, they they tried to address the nursing shortage, for instance, by allowing uh, nurses from abroad to work in the healthcare system and, and It's complicated because you have these self-regulating professions, and I think the NDP made this a priority in the health minister, Adrian Dix, so they got that done. But there are a lot of pieces in the puzzle, including, um, and and one of the the goals, I think, in healthcare has been, how do you get the retired doctors to come back to work and make it appealing enough? For them to want to do that and, and and maybe with the bctf that's one thing that they were thinking is teachers retire and some of them continue working as substitutes uh, and teachers on call for for years afterward um but, but one of the other aspects of it which isn't talked about much the bctf has one of the most generous public sector pensions of of all the uh professions and and of the public sector workers so once you get onto one of those BCTF pensions, you might, you might like the idea of being teacher on call. You still collect your pension, and you don't have to be there if you don't want to be. And and these are structural issues, and they're complex, and they don't lend themselves to easy sound bites. Mm. But, but that's possibly an issue too, under underscoring the teacher shortage in British Columbia. Yeah, no, I definitely don't envy the government in their position. There is a whole lot that they've got to cover here. Now, Charlie, another story that got quite a bit of reaction just yesterday, Nordstrom had made an announcement that they're shutting down all their stores across Canada. What do you think of this move? Yeah, this is actually, it's it's very sad for downtown Vancouver because the Nordstrom store is a big employer there and also kind of, sent a signal that maybe downtown Vancouver is coming back to a certain extent. You know, when you get Microsoft, you get Nordstrom's and Pacific Centers, this huge upgrade, and and now that they're shutting down um, is, you know, it's been going since 2014 in Canada, big Seattle, you know, family-owned um, department store chain. I think it also raises questions about department stores in general, and we've seen this at the lower end with Target, but also Hudson Bay Company selling off all the real estate, and and uh, and in the past, you know, we've had Woodward's, we've had Eden's, that there's Sears is another chain that that is no longer around, and and so that old-fashioned going to a department store where you have a whole bunch of different products. 
uh, it almost seems like it's migrated to the drug stores with smaller footprints, like a London Drugs or a Shoppers Drug Mart, and they don't have the clothing selection, obviously, although they have a little bit in the, in the London, some of the London drug stores. But, but it does seem that this old-fashioned notion of going to the department store is a thing of the past, unless you're a discount retailer like Walmart. And and um, it could be that, you know, that middle ground, <laughs> like you can get the high-end Holt Renfrew and some of those high-end retailers and then the low end and Nordstrom skewed higher end but certainly the that that middle bracket is not uh, hasn't done well in Canada in recent years Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been definitely interesting to see this trend, too. And it was also sudden. So, and you know, Charlie, the big question we had even here on the Morning Buzz we talked about is what is going to replace that space? It's a huge space. Like, what could possibly go there? I I had actually crossed my mind yesterday when I heard the news. Is it possible that they might turn it into condos? Because they've been doing that with office buildings, you know, like the, the BC Hydro building at the corner of Nelson and Burrard was an office building for decades, and now it's a condo. Uh, they they and and it's hard because you've got these large floor spaces with contiguous. But you know, I'm not saying it's going to become a condo. But Cadillac Fairview, which owns the Pacific Center Mall, has been doing building, and and there's a trend toward building real estate, um, residential on uh, shopping malls, and, and you just have to look at Richmond Center as as one example where Cadillac Fairview owns that, and they're building a bunch of, they're redoing the mall, building a bunch of residential. We've seen it at Brentwood in a, in a big way, um, lots of residential going on that old Brentwood, massive Brentwood parking lot. Um, and, and so I think that's the direction of these, I think Guilford, uh, there's, there's, Lots of them where this can occur, and you know Pacific Center doesn't have the the ground space like it's all filled. But I wouldn't rule out that possibility. It's a little out of the box, and maybe the executives at Cadillac Fairview were laughing and going, "No, that's not going to happen. We're going to turn it into high-end office space." But it's hard to see it making it go as retail, and it's also hard on those the other merchants because Nordstrom is, you know, an anchor tenant and a draw. And then people go to the other stores, and and they built that whole wing to Pacific Center underneath Nordstrom's, and and I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, no, and your theory is very close to Natasha's because even she was saying, why don't they just build some condos there? So maybe this will become a thing. Who knows? Only time will tell. Now, Charlie, finally, you're an interesting piece about a Seattle politician who made history with a motion prohibiting caste-based discrimination. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, this is Kishama Swant, who's uh, Marashtran. She was born in Pune, raised in the outer suburbs of Mumbai, moved to America, the Seattle area, at the age of 22, and is very, very left-wing, international socialist, uh, fiery politician. And she decided, and she's a Brahmin, actually, and then brought forward the uh, motion on caste, uh, banning caste-based discrimination. And... It passed on February 21st, first U.S. city to do so. We're seeing more concerns, I think, about um, this topic in North America. And I did an article a little while ago about a local artist, Jesse Sopal, 
who has created a clothing line called Don't Touch, which is plays on this notion of the Dalits and the Untouchables and trying to convert it into uh, something you know that people might want and you know, fancy clothing and 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 but it was also his effort to fight caste-based uh, bigotry and so and we can see it in different ways too where people will you know advertise for spouses um, or they want to go dating and they'll you know they'll, they'll cite their caste even outside of Hinduism. In, in the in the Sikh community, you'll say, "Oh, chat based," you know that type of thing, and and I think there's a growing reaction against this in Canada, and um, it, it's still in the in its infancy. But I think Shama Salant kind of caught on to that and and felt that way. There are lots of Indians in the Seattle area as well, and that's that may be a, a factor as well. Microsoft is. You know, CEO is Indian, so um, that's uh, the reality of Seattle these days. Mm-hmm. No, very fascinating. And Charlie, incidentally, with our Hands Against Racism series, I had the good fortune to actually interview her yesterday. And I will share the interview with you as well so you can give me your, uh, you know, a little bit, little feedback on what we spoke about. In fact, we did talk about how Indians, when South Asians rather, when we come from India, we not only bring in our culture, we not only bring in our food, but we also bring in this baggage of casteism. And I was completely surprised when I came in here to Canada. I thought I left it behind back home, but go to see that it still exists here and it very much exists in the corporate world in the U.S. And this was a landmark first in the U.S. ruling that has banned caste system. And apparently she had a lot of backlash from right-wing groups in the U.S. So it was a tough That's fight very for very interesting. Yeah. When I interviewed her back in 2018, she was in Vancouver helping the COPE candidates and, and helping Gene Swanson in particular get elected to Vancouver City Council. And she told me she was very in, influenced by Ambedkar, who's yes. also from Maharashtra, and and that you know he was the, the kind of king of the Dalits and co wrote or wrote the Indian Constitution and and uh, I think she was greatly influenced by his thinking. And also Aaron Dati Roy I think has had an influence on her as well. Yes, we also shared, of course, some uh, famous uh, Pune and Mumbai eateries and, you know, <laughs> food. We did speak about food as well. But yes, you must catch the interview and let me know what you think about it. Oh, I'd love to hear it. <laughs> She's lots of fun to listen to. <laughs> she is very, very interesting. Charlie, thank you so much for your time. As always, we really appreciate it. You have a wonderful weekend. Okay, thank you. Take care. Take Bye. care.